Broadcasting live from the Born Matrimony, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Gareth Strother. And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly. And today we will be talking about our most timely main segment of all time, <laughs> 2005's Mr. and Mrs. Smith. We are covering this to coincide not only with the fact that it is the week of Valentine's Day, of course, but also recently Amazon Prime's new series, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, starring Donald Glover and Maya Erskine, has just launched. So, I've never seen this before. I know Seamus had seen it a long time ago. I'm excited to get into it, but first, time for some news. Starting off with very exciting news, Dan Trachtenberg is coming back to direct and write a new Predator standalone film called Badlands. We covered Prey for this show, and I love that movie. I remember we we were very big fans of Prey back when Dan Trachtenberg dropped that on Hulu. I'm really hoping that there will be a theatrical release for this. Maybe the fact that they're bringing him back and they know that he can do really good work will mean that they will trust him finally with a with a good theater setting for this. Well, I don't think Prey was was about trusting as much as it was just weird corporate accounting and things but i am very excited about this it's set in the future apparently so that'll be very interesting in the f- like the future the future? future the future like our future which I've been, i'm okay i'm very curious about what that's gonna be i am a little bit like i would like to see a prey sequel who knows how if yeah they, i mean they all the predators even though they're pretty much all standalone do at certain points fold into each other So, I think, you know, there will probably be some callbacks and things like that, but... uh... Oh, I'm I'm hoping so. I'm I'm a little bit weary, as they have also just announced a new Alien Covenant sequel, uh, seemingly at the same time. Oh, no! And I do not... Listen, I don't know know what the rights are with that right now, who owns what to do what with, but I'm really hoping that that is just a coincidence, because... It's Disney, Those baby. Disney owns all... A... They could build a cinematic universe out of anything. Oh, no! God. God help us. God help us. <laughs> it's Fade Alvarez doing Alien... It's a, it's a... No. No, it's a Star Trek word. Re- Romulus. Revenant. Romulus. Romulus. Oh, Romulus. I was right. I was... We got was... there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's stupid that I got the guy that I backed into that. Everyone was a little confused, yeah. Well, Romulus, like Rome, presumably, so like the fall of man. is What is Alien about, if not the fall of man, I suppose? Well, what is Alien Covenant about? Because I straight up didn't see that movie. Well, and apparently you and I it's supposed to be together. more of a direct sequel. Yeah. I guess we should, yeah, we should catch up. We'll do it for the show. We'll do something for the show. Have we ever done an alien for the show? I don't think so, and you still are dodging my alien sequels that I swear by, so maybe we'll have to do a whole roundup. Yeah, I would like that. I would enjoy that. I don't know if that's marathon material, but it's certainly something to think about. And then our next and last piece of news is that the Academy Awards for the 2025 award ceremony will be adding an Achievement in Casting Award, which... Seems great. I'm guessing that that's something that has come out of the fact that there was a lot of great casting in movies this year, and there was a lot of casting in movies this year. I mean, think about, was there a single actor in Hollywood that wasn't in Barbie or Oppenheimer? I don't know. I was gonna say, just between the two, it was like, it was all about the cast at that point. 
which I think a common criticism of existing casting awards is they devolve into most casting, not necessarily best casting. And I imagine that the Oscars will probably follow suit, but I think adding more recognition to Oscar categories is a good thing. They should air them all again, but that's, you know, I think that's a losing battle. Also, man, I think you you and I can hem and haw about how they don't have a stunts category till the cows come home and they won't add one. Truly. I mean, I guess it's interesting to see that there's a little bit more of a willingness to add some lesser recognized categories, I suppose, but I will not hold my breath for something like a, like a stunt performing category either. But it's a step in the right direction. I, I agree. Oh yeah, absolutely. But why don't we, with that short and sweet news segment, go ahead and bop on over to our main segment, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Let's do it. For today's main segment, we're going to be talking about the 2005 action comedy Mr. and Mrs. Smith, starring Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, and Vince Vaughn, obviously. Vince Vaughn, surprisingly, I told you before that I have seen this movie at some point. There was, like, enough reference to it in the earlier 2000s that I at least had some kind of awareness. And at a certain point, I'm sure me and my older brother, like, pirated it somewhere. But I can't tell you how little I remembered of this, including that Vince Vaughn was in this at all, actually. That was, like, a huge slap in the face. Well, he's there, and he's there for a decent amount of it. I would say he's the character with the third most screen time. I would say that I wish his character followed through with the ending of this movie, I guess. There, we, I, there seemed like... We will talk. That is that is for the future, I suppose. Yes. But overall, I as pretty much watching this for the first time, I actually, you know, I thought it was not bad. It's definitely not going to be my first choice in, like, spy espionage movies at all or brad pitt movies even i but you know it was it was not bad i'm i'm still surprised that this far later that there is like a revival of a mr and mrs smith show now well it's a good premise it's i mean it's a familiar premise obviously this movie owes a lot to true lies but Mm -hmm. just the idea of taking the spy family and putting them against each other that's kind of its innovation and I enjoy it a great deal, actually. I was surprised at how much it definitely exceeded my expectations because I had not seen this previously. I remember very vividly it coming out. I remember, like, being at the movie theater, seeing the Polar Express or whatever, and... Play the trailer for Mr. and Mrs. Swift before the Polar Express? No, but there was a huge... Uh, movie theater like wall like a vinyl wall poster for mr and mrs smith where it's the two of them standing to either side and they're wearing their like black evening wear and it says mr and mrs smith where the title treatment has the bullet holes for the periods and the and the (laughs) eye dots i think the tone of the way this was marketed was just really well executed because it was cheeky but still felt like it had some kind of severity and it was sexy and it was all of these things that the movie is not nearly as tonally consistent with, but it's it, I think it markets what are certainly the best elements of the movie really well. And I remember even as like a seven-year-old being like, that seems like a cool premise. Well, I guess 
for me, not coming back around to it until it was for this show, I've seen, you know, true lies since then, and I'm more aware of a lot of the ways that this concept can be done better, pretty much. And oh, yeah. it's, you know, it's still interesting to go back and see, you know, any movie from 2005, or 2004, was 2005. it? 2005. 2005. Like you're saying, I had a lot of fun. It still felt like there, it was... Enough of young Brad Pitt being just super handsome and charming and them having their tit-for-tat moments of assassination attempts. I I enjoyed it. I guess I, I'm glad that it was made in a time where they weren't necessarily trying to franchise that idea and it was just more about literally them two together as co-stars. I was thinking about that a lot during this movie, actually, was, well, I think there's it's kind of a two-part thought. One... You and I talk a lot about how they used to make movies for adults, mm. and this is a movie for adults. I mean, sure, it's PG-13 because they're trying to get teenagers into the theater, but it's something for adult couples to go see at the movies and have a good time, and it's not a whole franchise thing, it's not everything, and that, that kind of segues into my main point, which is, this movie came out at exactly the right time. If it came out any earlier or any later, I think it would be insufferable. <laughs> like, this specific premise and the way it's kind of conceived. Because I think if it had come out any earlier, it would have been really annoying. Think about the way that the Austin Powers movies talk about feminism and female empowerment. Like, the irreverence of the tone makes it feel really awkward and weird when they talk about that kind of thing. So if this movie had been mm. made in the 90s... I think it would not have worked. And then I think any later, it would have been trapped in all kinds of different... The tone would have been weird and it would have had all of this franchise baggage and world-building yeah. baggage. It came out at just the right time that this premise can be done without a bunch of like weird pandering hoops to jump through, but it also doesn't have to deal with all, all of the trappings of the, the action comedy... That really started right after, like, think, like, if this movie were made in 2008, what a different time that was, just three years later, for movies like this. And that's why I keep thinking about, like, what are the plans for this new one? I, in my mind, I was, like, already thinking of, if it was made a little bit later, and they had a trilogy in mind, and they throw a kid into the sequels, which I guarantee is season two of, of this television show, you know, just how less willing i would be to even think about rewatching this because as it stands now i would i would definitely rewatch this movie just the one standalone it's again pretty fun but when i think about like why is donald glover even in this show it's it's such a it's such a weird thing for me i don't know i've heard really good things about the new show actually is that right yeah like, i have heard I, i've nothing heard almost yes universally from people that have actually watched it because that's the problem with mm -hmm. tv now is that there's just too much to watch and that there's so much to watch that it's even hard to find people that have watched things that you're vaguely interested right, in watching right. the takes that i've heard have been almost universally positive i'm not saying they're like out of the park or anything but that's a talented duo and I, from what I understand, it takes a slightly different approach to this concept than what this movie does in a way that sounds fresh and more interesting and might, again, avoid some of the trappings of mm. what we were talking about was coming later. But this is not a show about the TV show. This is a show about the movie. 
Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I want to talk about how I think the action from director Doug Lyman, who is pretty fresh off the Born Identity at this point, and just nine short years away from the masterpiece that is Edge of Tomorrow, brings a competence to the action that really helps this movie maintain its watchability. Like, if this were made today, the action would be so insufferably bad that I think it would also dilute any of the redeeming qualities of the script mm-hmm. being clever or the or the leads having chemistry. And here, sure, it's a little green screeny, but at the same time, there's a very clear sense of geography. This has better action than most straight action movies that are made today. Yeah, no doubt. The blocking within that, like the house fight, is very precise, and it works. It feels. From either perspective in that fight, it feels like you've kind of got a uh, even better than general idea of the space itself, and it kind of deteriorating around the fight as it continues. And they kind of have that in a couple other bigger action scenes as well. Yes, which we'll get into in in spoilers Mm -hmm. for sure. But overall, I think this is about as full of an execution of this concept as you can have except for the fact that i think in the third act it loses a lot of steam there should be three more scenes in this movie that are aren't that that just aren't in it (laughs) yeah yeah for sure there are threads that are just fully left dangling but from a what if two assassins were married to each other movie i think it does a really good job of marrying, like, we're gonna make little jokes about the curtains and redecorating and, like, married things while also being a good action movie. Again, I don't think it's structurally perfect, I don't think the writing is perfect, but the competency action, combined with the charm that I found in its tone and the palpable chemistry between its two leads, which we will Mm. get into later, (laughs) all worked really well for me. Yeah, honestly, I... uh... Again, seeing this with basically fresh eyes, I thought it was really fun. It was charming. They're great together on screen. I personally think a young Brad Pitt is about as swaggering as anybody was in that era. So I I love to see it in anywhere I can get it. So big, big thumbs up. As I told you before the show, I think this movie would be a little bit better if Brad Pitt had better hair. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe just a little bit. But I mean... Overall, he's still he's still got he's got the smolder. Oh, absolutely! I mean, he's still he's still two thousand five Brad Pitt. Yeah, 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 yeah. But why don't we move into the real meat and potatoes here? The spoiler talk for Mister and Missus Smith. Where to begin? <laughs> Vince Vaughn is Brad Pitt's weird, scummier, only other age appropriate coworker, I guess. Yeah, because Michelle Monaghan. Isn't even really his co-worker, I guess, but she kind of is. But yeah, he has then the two older folks, which is, I think, a good little little bit. I really enjoyed how much pleasure this movie takes. There was a very brief period from, like, I feel like 1999 to 2007 where spies were all about, like, the sleek gadgets Mm. and hidden drawers coming out of places that hidden drawers shouldn't be. You think about, like, your spy kids and and Mission Impossible 3 and... Yeah, for sure. Spies before that were more bondy, and after that kind of took on a different 
You know, not that they don't still visit that concept. Like, Kingsman has elements of that, but they took on a different pastiche after that point. And I really like where this movie falls on the aesthetic of Spydom and the fact that there are two different spy aesthetics in this movie I think is really fun because you have Brad Pitt who has the more like Mission Impossibly IMF crawling through vents and, and dangling off of stuff and Angelina Jolie is even in a more heightened reality Charlie's Angels and and clearly way more Bondy in my yes, mind you know absolutely they, she's got gear she's got backup you know mm-hmm so, and Kerry Washington, I think, must be so young in this oh movie. Oh my god, yeah, that was so strange. It was almost as strange to see Kerry Washington as it was to see Vince Vaughn show up, you know? It just, yeah. just caught me off guard. Well, it also makes sense Vince Vaughn is reteaming. Doug Liman also is the guy who directed Swingers. So I think it kind of oh, makes sense that oh, he's... sure. It, because he's kind of just playing the guy from Swingers in this. I mean, I've not seen Swingers, but does he live, does he swear off real relationships? He is this, this is such a weird little avenue to go down. <laughs> hey, he connects. Swingers is a movie about these two single, it's Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. And they're these two single guys that, I don't think they live in Vegas, but they're in Vegas. Okay. And Vince Vaughn is this like scummy, I don't need anybody. I'm a I'm a I think I'm a really smooth ladies man, but really I'm just gross guy. And John Favreau is his less confident little buddy who he drags <laughs> around everywhere. Sure. I mean, that's kind of what it is here. It, it's a lot more blatant of a joke when he's like, yeah, I got my heart broken and now I hate women. Come on, Brad Pitt. Why aren't you like me or whatever? You know, it's yeah, really out there. But I enjoyed Vince Vaughn more than I enjoy him in a lot of things. I think it's mind bogglingly dumb that the end of this movie is not they have their big final video game waves of enemies yeah, at the end. Yeah. And then it's not Carrie Washington and Vince Vaughn there to kill them at the end, which is insane that that is just left alone. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's that's they kind of confront Vince Vaughn at the diner. Right. But like, mm -hmm. it really feels like like he's just gone after that. Right. Like, I don't even know if he comes back at all. No, he doesn't. And then there. There's no, it's weird that we're skipping right to the end, but this is where we've led. Um, <laughs> there's no resolution. Sure, they kill three dozen guys in the, in the home goods, which is really, like, that's a really fun place for this finale oh, yeah. to be. Oh, yeah. But the companies are just gonna keep sending assassins after you. I don't understand, like, they don't go up, they set up Keith David and Angela Bassett. Unbelievable that they just do not follow through at all with those. No, because at the very least, you need, like, the mini-boss of Vince Vaughn and Kerry Washington, I think. But the last scene of this movie, except for the therapy session, should be them breaking into the respective offices of those guys. Or, ideally, they're together, you know, conspiring about how they're going to kill sure, the Smiths. Yeah. And they break in, and they have their, like, you're going to leave me alone, and we're going to go be happy, and this is the end of the last five Daniel Craig Bond movies, and... Oh my god, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there should have been something, for God's sake. Uh, some kind of duet showdown, like, in the climax of Argyle-type infiltration, where they show Keith David, like, hey, we're not messing around. Yeah, yeah, or a fun little twist where it's revealed that Keith David and Angela Bassett are actually married themselves. You 
have read my mind, Doctor Movies. That is exactly where I was thinking. It almost seems like that is the only logical direction for that to end up at this point, but my god, it is it is just left into the wind. But to be fair, that is my biggest criticism of this movie, really, is I feel like it has an underwhelming finale. And even that I'm I'm allowing to slide a little bit because it's so clearly not interested in that. If it had done a lot more work trying to be more mm-hmm. John Wick world buildy or trying to set up for sequels or trying, you know, if it had been posturing in any way beyond just being like a fun date movie, I would be a lot more annoyed with it. Mm-hmm. I, I think I am inclined to agree with you on that. It seems like, I mean, it is like a two hour movie. And I feel like in time like that, in something like a John Wick or a Jason Bourne, they're just doing nothing but being like dropping little breadcrumbs for the entire mm-hmm. time. This is just like the most straightforward in a different style of movie. There would be some like tension about like figuring out who knows what or you know, maybe it's a reveal to the audience even that there's more spy things going on than one person is mm-hmm. privy to. But they just kind of drop it right in front of you right away. It's 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 very simple, and I, I like it a lot. It's It brings a lot of that humor to it when they're, like, kind of running into each other before they even know. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, another note that I have is the movie is the premise, essentially. It's <laughs> yeah, one of those. Yeah. It's not a twist when they find out that they're assassins. Right, right. And so... I think for a movie that's so transparent about what it is, like, it's what it is on the box. This movie could probably lose 10 or 15 minutes in the first act, because I'm like, this is taking a long time to get the assassin stuff, guys. A little bit, a little bit. And I don't mind that, but I think that, that, that that's time that could have been better allotted to the last part of the movie. Or, on, like, they have this really nice moment, too, uh, after their house is destroyed, where they're, like, kind of reminiscing about their various missions and targets, and, like, oh, that was you, and, like, oh, that was you. And they have this meet-cute flashback about how they met in Columbia? Yep. Columbia, because it's romancing the stone. Yep. And... I feel like they could have even had a little bit more of those, like the run-in that they had in the initial part where they just don't know who each other are. They're maybe crossing paths a little bit here and there. I feel like as soon as they get to start talking about that kind of stuff, it slides right into the Uncharted 1 waves of enemies, like you were saying before. I also feel like in a movie now, they would have tacked on some stupid twist about how they were either predestined to meet or that one of them actually knew the other one was a spot. Like, I feel like, again, it puts on no airs about what it yeah, means. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, this is what the movie is, and we respect you. Also, I know I know that this is still just in the waves of enemies, but I gotta say, I think the apex, the zenith of this movie realizing its potential as both its concept and as a action comedy is the minivan chase fight scene because it's the that perfect is great. balance of good action movie action comedy stuff with lots of fun jokes about how your wife drives and i actually like the minivan and like <laughs> the part where he takes the guy in the one sliding door and pushes him out the other side incredible incredible stuff 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I was I liked it so much that I wasn't as distracted with their weird Nerf gun armor that they have on for a lot of those bigger chase fight scenes. Yeah, that is odd. I don't really care. It's, it's um, 2005. It's 2005. It's is all cohesive with the yes, spy yeah. aesthetic of the era, even though it's cheesy. Like I like that it's a little cheesy. To be honest, that is a, that is something that is appealing to me about this movie. I do have to think about married spies in a wrecked minivan having marriage squabbles is very reminiscent of The Incredibles that came out a year earlier. Yeah, you're not wrong. That came out a year before this movie. Yeah. Wow. Insane. Yeah, because that's that's what I was thinking about a lot, and for whatever reason, I put that after this movie. Because you have you have True Lies in 96, and then you have The Incredibles in 04, and then you have this in 05. Man, I... I do like this movie, but if you're putting it in a lineup of the three, it really does fall at the bottom of the list of these movies. I I was thinking about True Lies a lot during Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I gotta say. And again, it, for all intents and purposes, double that movie, uh, double the plot of I should be loving it. But I it does not quite scratch that itch for me. No, but I, again, I don't expect it. To, I mean, it's not made by James Cameron. Doug Lyman's a great director. <laughs> True, yeah, yeah. But nor is he Brad Bird. One of those movies, it's a nice little popcorn action movie. And I, I'm sure this is surprising to people who have heard me absolutely rip apart dumb popcorn action <laughs> movies. And I'm like, that's not an excuse for it being bad. But this isn't really bad. It's exactly what it's trying to be. That is right. You, you described it before as like, it's exactly what you see on the box is, is what you're going to get in this movie. But I'm stuck on the fence of like, I do like this movie, but I truly don't know if I'll ever watch it again. I don't think I would ever elect to watch this movie again. It's And it's not necessarily anything against the movie that much but it it's really funny that you bring it to the table you said earlier that you would rewatch this during and, and as, as we're talking about it i'm like damn the things that i like about it i can get in another place you know i can get that stuff and more and not be like wishing that the movie followed through on the things that i know other movies will follow through on yeah, but I would also argue that if I'm putting on True Lies of the Incredibles, I'm going to watch. That's for watching. That you is... know, mm. this is for if you're just hanging out and you want to throw something on. You know, I wouldn't watch it alone. I agree. I think if you just want to have a nice time and somebody's like, what's a nice, like, fun little action movie we could watch? I'm like, Mr. and Mrs. Smith is pretty good for that. Maybe the best movie that Simon Kinberg has ever written. This was his MFA thesis. No kidding. No kidding. It totally makes sense as an MFA thesis, because if you look at it as a genre experiment, he's finding rom-com and mm. spy elements and combining them very successfully. And uh, Simon Kinberg, for those who don't know, has written like a billion X-Men movies. Um, <laughs> he wrote the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes movie, which is probably about as good as this. He wrote... As this movie, the Mr. and Mrs. Smith that we're talking about? Yeah. I would think, honestly, I would ra I think Sherlock Holmes is better than this. I like Sherlock Holmes a lot. I just don't. It has a more satisfying third act, I suppose. I think this is equally successful at what it's trying to do. Sure. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. He also wrote Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Uh, a classic that I have not seen. Well, you should read the book. That's my official rec center That's this, what I hear, this week, yeah. is you should read the book. And then also, of course, favorites on this show, not only did he write... 
Ice Cube Zone Triple X State of the Union starring Rail Force One, but he also was the co-creator and showrunner for Star Wars Rebels. Quite a lineup when you look at that IMDb, those IMDb credits. Very interesting to see what's stacked up against what. Kinberg, I bring him up and, and go through his filmography not just to be a weird Doctor Movies guy, but to say he has a niche that he's working in in these early 2000s movies that they're not all great but you can see he's got this fun action comedy duality in movies like this and triple x state of the union another movie Mm. that you and i were very surprised to enjoy as much as we did (laughs) and even something like sherlock holmes where it's funny and pithy but it's not trying to like hit above its weight it's still just a fun little movie to go see in the summer on a friday night and how the further he gets on in his career, the more he is relegated. That kind of movie doesn't exist anymore, and he's got to go do X-Men and Fantastic Four and that kind of stuff. That's not saying that Kinberg had all agency taken from him. I'm sure he was interested in doing those movies. I don't think you do, like, six Fox superhero movies without wanting to do them. I think it is a very telling career trajectory that here's a successful action comedy writer who clearly is good enough at what he does that then is is slowly forced to transition into now it's now every action comedy PG-13 action comedy is a superhero movie man it really it really is i feel like i mean it is refreshing to go back and see something from this era again untainted by the ideas that it needs to be anything more than what it promises and delivers on anything more to tease or to elongate i had a split second thought of like after credit scenes when the credits started rolling and then i was like that's not that's not what this era was that's not what hollywood was yet and if they were gonna have anything it would be a stupid joke about it would be like vince vaughn in the diner or something it would be a payoff to a joke that was planted earlier in the movie it wouldn't be oh and angelina jolie is visited by angela bassett in the night and recruited <laughs> for the avengers initiative it, it would be in a perfect world it would be vince vaughn and his mother in the therapist angle and they're talking see? about their relationship there you go or it would be because we don't see vince vaughn's mom the whole movie That's true. it could just be vince vaughn talking about his issues with women for a a minute there that would be funny you could see Vince Vaughn's mom comes downstairs with a shotgun and it's Betty White you know like oh man yeah that would be pretty fun it would be a joke it would it would not be beholden to any kind of set up for anything else so I think that that's the real difference but do you have anything else to say about Mr. and Mrs. Smith Seamus I I guess not I liked when he shot the shotgun that was like slung over her back that was fun that's cool. that one time yeah i feel like we didn't talk as much about in- individual like, action beats yeah there were enough of them that i you know lots of lots of fun to be had I, you know that superstore a lot of fun things to play with in the in the yard when they gear up you know they again the action way better i, I think the action is holding a lot of this for me and god help me vince vaughn is holding this movie a lot for me Poor Vaughn. But with that, Garrett, what do you say we head on over to our reference this week? Let's talk Brangelino, Seamus. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about Brangelina, 
While the idea of a super couple can be traced back to the 1980s soap opera General Hospital and was originally coined to describe fictional couples within media, the undeniable influence of real-life Hollywood power couples seemed to reach a fever pitch in the early 2000s with global sensation Brangelina. In 2004, during the filming of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, rumors began circulating around Hollywood that co-stars Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie were engaging in a romantic affair while Pitt was still married to Jennifer Aniston. Though Jolie rebuffed these claims and stated that she would never be intimate with a married man, the paparazzi published photos of Pitt accompanying her on a family vacation with her newly adopted son the very same month that Aniston had publicly filed for divorce. Less than a year later in January of 2006, the worldwide phenomenon Brangelina announced that they were expecting their first child together after Pitt legally adopted Jolie's two previously adopted children, changing their surnames to Jolie Pitt. Their monumental status as dual megastars kept them in the media spotlight, and in 2016, Jolie publicly announced that she was moving forward with a filing for divorce following a drunken, abusive event with Pitt, where she alleged that he had gotten violent with her and their children on a private flight. To this day, their divorce proceedings are ongoing, trying to untangle the properties, businesses, projects, and millions of dollars in charitable donations that the two have made together over the course of their 12-year marriage. I was surprised to learn that this is still happening, apparently. This was some research done very recently, but, you know, I can definitely remember my eight-year-old brain trying to even care a little bit about all the Hollywood drama that was seriously everywhere. That was newspapers and TV news constantly. I can very vividly picture the peak of the tabloid era where you'd be in the line at the Jewel Osco, and it would just <laughs> oh, yeah. be full of Brangelina paparazzi pics. Yeah, I, I had a vague awareness. I know my mom watched Friends back in the day, so I had a vague awareness of, like, Jennifer Aniston and all that, but I was so... I was so, like, I cared about my Star Wars VHS tapes and my Indiana Jones VHS tapes, and nothing <laughs> else really mattered. They were definitely, I'm using the word zenith a lot today, they were definitely the zenith of the power couple era of the late 90s and early 2000s. They're the most beautiful people in the world, they're the most famous people in the world, they had a very highly publicized maybe affair mm. during the filming of a hit uh, movie and <laughs> <laughs> a movie that made a lot of money yeah successful movie successful perhaps. movie it's not that we're not still living in an age of power couples obviously you know the super bowl just happened and travis kelsey and taylor swift are still out there but this marriage and then the eventual like messy dissolution of it does seem to mark an end of, of a very specific type of pop cultural era yeah i was gonna say that you don't really see any of that around now and i think maybe it is also because like of this absolute devout cult following that these two people got and then learning later how horrible and and weird and and violent and and bad it was actually on the inside however frequently you know you can't idolize a pair of people like that any longer because then you know eventually things will come out and that's why i feel like the travis kelsey and taylor swift it's like we know she'll break up and write a song about it at some point that's safe people like uh zendaya and tom holland it's like they're doing their cute little things so i doubt there's gonna be any like horrible revelations so they're kind of safe but besides a few more predictable people like that i feel like it's just not really on the table anymore. We also don't have movie stars like we used to. We just don't. 
Mr. and Mrs. Smith is not built around, we were talking about this during the main segment, it's not built around a franchise. It's not even really built around the concept. It's built around, you want to see Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie do this action movie together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we don't do movies like that very much anymore. And we have just come off of a string of movies that are either successfully doing that or trying to recapture that essence but failing at it. Yeah. So not only are Brangelina this seminal example of a power couple, but also that movie is the kind of death rattle of a movie star era. It's two sides of the same coin, for better or for worse. The movies and the tabloids, the gossip. Mm -hmm. You say... Tom Holland and Zadea, and like, sure, they're both very famous, they're young, attractive, charming people, but they are not Brangelina, you know, it's just, there's no <laughs> right, comparing yeah. the two things, who cares about Tom Holland, <laughs> you know, like, Zendaya is closer to being on that level of stardom, I think, but, like, he's just a little British in Spider-Man, oh, Mr. Yeah, that's Stark. What... <laughs> He suddenly Samwise Gamgee as well in that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mr. Well, Stark. Well, it was the it was the transition into American Tom Holland <laughs> oh, that, sure. that he got pinched in the middle there. <laughs> oh man! But Shannon, why don't we go ahead and move on over and save the rec center? Let's do it. Save the rec center. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly rec amendations. Seamus, what do you have this week? Now I'm I'm nearly positive I must have thrown this into the rec center in years past, but I have just taken another examination of the 1997 Canadian science fiction horror thriller Cube. Have you ever seen Cube, Garrett? As we did on this show a year and a half ago uh, discuss, no, I have never seen Cube. I've always wanted to see Cube, and I will take your center <laughs> up. Yeah, I was going to say, just, I'll stop now, rewind to whatever episode that no, was. No, no, no. I'll keep, talk about it. No, uh... we have new listeners. Keep doing your pitch, Seamus. I, I don't know what it is about this movie, but I come back to it every couple of years, and I... I I'm always, I always fall in love with it all over again. It's just truly indie horror at its finest. It's true. It's a one set wonder, you know, just changing the angle of the single cube set. It's, it's better. I'm going to say the cube trilogy over the entire Saw franchise. And that's going to be a hot take for some people, but it's just, it's the same kind of weird trap variety fun, but it's less. I don't know, it's less depressing than Saw. Saw just makes me sad, but Cube is like dumb high concept BS that eventually gets dumber in the sequels, and I really recommend it to everybody, including you, Garrett, and I'll make you watch this movie that is arguably not fantastic. I'll probably very fun. I'll probably tell you the exact same thing I told you the last time we had this conversation, which you and I would never repeat a conversation. Oh, absolutely not. I think that they occupy the Cube movies a similar space to movies that I have a great affinity for and have rec-centered myself. The Escape Room movies, where it's like yes. Saw, it's fun, stupid traps, but it's not as cruel or torture-porny as Saw or Final Destination. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. same kind of, yes. I will I will take that half semi response rec setter into my own account here and I will I will we'll we'll flip flop weird escape room cube movies. 
by the next time you rec centers this movie, Seamus, I will have watched it. <laughs> All right. Put a timer on. 50 episodes max before I bring up Cube again. <laughs> Guaranteed. Guaranteed. But what do you have to save the rec center tonight? A movie of, of a comparable quality. I think pretty much universally it would be agreed that Cube and Akira Kurosawa's masterpiece High and Low are exactly the same amount of good. I watched this movie for the first time a couple days ago. I watched it on Criterion Channel. I did not realize it's also streaming on Max, so nice and accessible out there. It is a rare Kurosawa that is set in the modern day, which mm. I don't think I'd ever seen a Kurosawa set in the modern day, and it has Tachiro Mifune, you know, in a suit and tie. Oh, It is an incredibly taut, thrilling story that has these great twists and turns, and I won't get into any of it, but it is so many different things at once. It's so masterful. It has incredible sound design, brilliant blocking, and overall cinematography. I was blown away. It is understandably one of the most acclaimed films of all time, and I think that anybody, whether you have a familiarity with the Japanese cinema of the era, with Kurosawa, doesn't matter. If you are a human being that likes good movies, High and Low is for you, and you should go watch it. I am definitely going to watch High and Low before I watch Cube again, and that is a guarantee <laughs> as well, because that sounds like a really good movie, honestly. And I, I, am a, I have a little more awareness of that sect of film, and I am a big, big fan, so I am going to definitely check that out. Well, I'm excited to hear your thoughts. But that wraps us up for the show this week. If you want to reach the show on social media, that's at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also reach the show directly by emailing popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can like us and subscribe to us on YouTube. Any way you can interact with the show is a very, very big help to us over here. Next week... You know it. We're talking Madam Web. No, we're not. Um, oh, my God. You really gave me a heart attack there for a second, dude. Oh, my God. Uh, no, we we have freed ourselves from the Sisyphitic time loop of superhero films that we're going to hate, uh, at least for the time being. And instead, in anticipation of The Bad Batch's season three premiere, we will be covering the second season of the animated Disney Plus Star Wars series that I'm very excited to chat about with you. Yes, I I have been binging it lately. I'm I'm catching up hard and I I definitely am enjoying it. I have a lot to say. So definitely tune in next week. I'm looking forward to it. Adios amigos. <laughs> <laughs>